I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her, and you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. I'm Kaylee. I'm the Sergeant of Digital Strategy here at Broad Digital and also Creative Captain. Do you want to redo that? <laughs> no, I felt good about it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hi, I'm Alan and I am Broad's Muscle. I'm Danielle Bilbrook. I am the Chief Broad in Residence here at Broad Digital Consulting and you are listening to Target Snarket a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. I have to use my last name this week as well because we do have another Danielle joining us uh, mm-hmm. here to have a fun group discussion with us is uh, Danielle Webster, broadcast journalist at Prairie Public Radio from uh, my home state, Danielle's home state, the wonderful frozen north of North Dakota. Welcome. Thank you so much, Danielle. For this week, uh, what we're talking about is kind of a sensitive topic, really. Uh, I really think that probably the most significant generational difference today between our boomers and our Gen Z, what's the new one? What new one? There's a new generation. Yeah. Oh. Oh. I don't think they have a name yet. I think it was like. Heard it, I've heard it recently and I couldn't I couldn't tell you what it is. I've forgotten it already. I thought they like start decided to start the alphabet over, even though yeah. like there wasn't an alphabet before X anyway. It was like Alpha. Yeah. It's Alpha. There I we do. Go. So Generation Alpha is out there in the <laughs> world now. I, I do think it's hilarious. Generation Dom, Generation Daddy, Generation yeah, Dom, this is like, like Generation uh, 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 I hate I think, this. I think they were going with with Greek, but you're right. (laughs) Why can't we do like Chinese New Year instead? Like Generation Generation Chicken. Generation (laughs) Generation Sadist. Generation Cut. Generation Hot Wife. Like we're just getting really weird all of a sudden. Like, no. Of course we do this on a kid's episode. Why? friendly even better as i said a very sensitive topic but generation alpha is like i said out there in the world i do think it's funny that prior to generation x it was like baby boomers so we like ended the alphabet but then like now we're just like starting is it like like hurricanes like we're we're just gonna like oh fuck it we'll we'll keep with the alphabet anyhow we have generation alpha out there now Uh, I think that one of the, and maybe the biggest generational difference between all of us is really, or, or even more so what separates millennials in particular, but potentially even Gen Z with this, this new generation alpha is the, the way that certain technologies really permeate our culture. Uh, You know, obviously all generations, we are all subject to the way that Devices fill every part of our lives and never leave us alone. But not all generations have lived with that kind of device like 
permeation from literal infancy. And so this new generation, and even, even some folks in Gen Z, they, they literally know no other alternatives. Uh, and unfortunately, this kind of device-centric environment isn't always safe for kids, even when it's their own parents that are the ones, that, I mean, holding the phone camera, for better or worse. So this week, what we're talking about is really underage humans existing in an always online world and uh, some of the concerns and dangers around that. But that like toothpaste can't go back in the tube. So so how do we handle that? And how how do we protect children inside of this day and age? And how right now, as we see it, kids aren't really being protected by brands uh, or as influencers. So, you know, obviously we are always online now. That's not showing signs of going away. <laughs> and uh, I know that at least for, for those of us at Broad, we make our living being online and catering to the online. But I know, like, I mean, I've, I know that's taken a toll on me as a grown adult who is 30. Um, and so... <laughs> What was that? What was that? Oh, I, th- my age that I'm 30. Yeah. Yeah. That. Um, I mean, I, I know that I'm not the only one, like, and and I think I we've had conversations, all of us in in different, you know, iterations about how the state of being always online and constantly having like news like we have a literal broadcast journalist here with us today the constant state of just like being bombarded by news impacts us even as grown adults like tell me about how you all are impacted by that can i start please please okay cool please so (laughs) well i'll start off by by saying like When I first got my job, I've had this job since 2006, like the end of 2006. So a while, what is, is it like 16, 17 years, something like this. I thought, well, I'm a journalist now. I need to know everything all the time because I need to be informed. I need to have context of everything. And I had a little TV, you know, in my office, like I had my own office And I was mostly alone in the building too, where I was, they had me kind of stationed like away and I just kept it on like CNN all day. And it Mm -hmm. took me about six months and I was like, I am a nervous wreck. (laughs) Like this is not, this is not good. And I kind of realized like really early on in my, in my career, really like consuming news all the time is not good for anybody. As a person who works really hard to bring people news, like good, legitimate news, I tell people, like, I know you can get the news all the time. You can get it all day long, day or night, 24 hours, literally anytime you think you want to know something, you can get it. Don't do that. Like pick a time of the day if you need to be informed and get informed then. Don't be doing it all the time because it's not good for you. Mm -hmm. We've, We've never like people like to talk all the time, like, oh, like this world is so crazy. It's never been so scary or more dangerous. And I'm like, no, it's pretty much always been like this. It's always been a nightmare. But what like the burden that we have now is like, we get to know everything all at once, all the time. And that's why it feels so terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's why my 
most of like grandparents are so on edge all the time is because literally they just have like at least my grandparents literally have the news on constantly and like back in the day it was Rush Limbaugh now it's Tucker Carlson it's just constant and it's like yeah turn on literally something else for half of the time you're watching that mm-hmm. at least half I mean I mean I'll <laughs> Ideally more. (laughs) Give up half, but if you can give more, please give more. I know that all of us here on, uh, on this pod and, and, you know, I would say, um, Alan, you in particular, you have this whole like other life as like a really important published poet with a forthcoming manuscript and like you have to be online promoting that like that's like a huge part of this secret life that you keep us out of so like I mean that I how does how does that impact you yeah you know I've actually never been someone that has struggled to regulate my intake um I tend to like take breaks when I need it and stuff like that but Recently, like issues of my privacy have started to come up more so, especially with regard to releasing a book. I need to have a public profile. And I also have some characters from my past, for example, that like, I'd really prefer they weren't looking at my stuff right now. Yeah. And so I have to constantly like curate what I'm putting out. I have to like look at my images and see if there's personal information in it. And I will say that that's changed how I've looked at my online presence and it's added a lot of stress. Like sometimes I'm like, fuck it. I'm never, I'm deleting everything and I'm going to be a hermit poet. And then when I die in 30 years, they're going to be like, wow, they were so brilliant. Yeah, but you would hate that. I would. (laughs) You would hate that. I need compliments now. (laughs) Like see a former episode. (laughs) Achieving fame post-mortem seems like a punishment for you. (laughs) I'm like, you may as well forget me then. Yeah, you're the type of person that would have a funeral before you died because you're like, I want to hear all the good things now. (laughs) Yeah, I want it to be fun. Yeah, and also I want to see the slideshow. So (laughs) it took such a weird turn. I like sorry. You know, I also, though, think back to like even before, you know, this sort of like perpetually online with these the phones, the devices, the screens, everything. I think back to like Danielle and I uh, went to high school together, full disclosure. And, uh, you know, Big D and Little D. Yeah, we were we were the the Danielle's. And uh, who's the Big D? That would be me. Big D. Big D. (laughs) Lil. Lil D. Lil D. Lil tiny D. (laughs) So, but yeah, I mean, like, I think about, like, the kind of bullying that teens, you know, not just were, but are capable of. And I feel like even though we were all, you know, obviously this was 20 years ago and and <laughs> for some people uh, right for for Danielle and I okay yeah uh, for some people god and and even then just getting online I feel like I spent all my time there like I had a Zanga that we were on D I know I know yeah. you remember Zanga hmm? <laughs> chat rooms 
I was the 10 year old that was, you know, definitely in danger of being lured somewhere, like I'm sure. (laughs) And things like, fun fact, I know it will surprise everybody that as uh, a 14 year old, I spent a lot of time on internet forums debating grown adults on whether or not the world was created in six days. So. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> the Christian Gemini. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. That was, uh, so I've literally always been this way. And, <laughs> like, and so like thinking back, like it feels to me so many years later, like I was always online and I didn't even fucking know that it was like, that was just scratching the surface. So like this has to fuck with kids these days. And I know, Alan, you did some digging here on just like how it's impacting kids. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. And like, first, like I wanted to say when I started looking into this, I was like hearkening back to my MySpace days and how like, I remember the discourse being like, they didn't know how it was going to affect us. And adults were saying it was bad. And like a huge part of teen me was like, Adults like literally can't tell a mouse from a bar of fucking soap, which why are they even using that in the first place? Like, what do they know? But I have this very distinct memory of like logging off of MySpace one day, like depressed as fuck, like teen and thinking, I don't feel good. That did not make me feel good, you know, and being like, maybe adults aren't just being like jerks. Like maybe there's something to this that's like messing me up. And like when I started to look into kind of the nuances of what's going on here, I was like, well, maybe like cyberbullying with all of these things, we know more, we've done more studies, things have been enacted, like maybe it's like better now. And like, it's literally not. The Pew research that I looked up said that something like 50% of kids experience cyberbullying or teens, I think it was, it was teens, say they've experienced cyberbullying. And I think like it's easy to look at like bullying and think it's like a kid thing. But like, I don't know about you guys, but if I get like a mean or like slightly off comment on a photo that like I didn't want from someone, like it feels so bad. And I think about like that getting inflicted over and over on teen brains that are just developing, right? already like sensitive and like like this and it's not regulated like it's not good you know Mm -hmm. also funny that it's 50 percent. like the other 50 percent are the bullies you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean not funny but like it's lined along very clean lines like (laughs) yeah you're half of the kids are getting bullied and the other half are the bullies which one is your kid we're not a two type of people kind of people but (laughs) (laughs) but there are two types but there are two (laughs) the data shows you know but yeah like I mean not not funny is also like the sexual harassment and the grooming um something like one in six kids not just teens this time kids experience some sort of sexual offense online that number is like staggering it's disgusting. Also, anecdotally, like, I know it's real because it happened to me when I was a kid. I remember, like, AIM. Like, this, I'm talking young. Oh, yeah. Like, putting mm-hmm. up AIM, like, I love Britney Spears shit. 
And like, I remember talking to probably people I shouldn't have been talking to oh. about stuff. I should yeah. be talking to them. About. We all did that. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I know we're going to get into like other things later, but like thinking that we can protect our kids from certain things, but like, we're going to give them these devices. It's like, if you're going to give them this device, like you have to realize like that's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, t- it's terrifying to be honest. I mean, right. well, I mean, you even like watch those catch a predator shows and they're still doing those. And like, they are really elaborate. And I watched this one documentary recently where they kept lowering the age of the like young girl that they put on the internet. And it was like within seconds, the young girl was getting propositioned by like tens, hundreds of groomers on the internet. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't like a like thing to like make people scared. It's like a real thing that happens. It also like disproportionately happens to teen girls which I find Mm -hmm. disparaging, disturbing. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, like you said, Danielle, like I remember being that 11 year old that would go have a slumber party at my friend's house and we'd get on ICQ and, you know, there was way before chat roulette, there was, uh, and way before like Google's I'm feeling lucky ICQ had a little button that could connect you to someone else that was online and like opening question ASL, right? Like these were things that were already happening and you didn't know who you were talking to ever Mm -hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And Danielle, I know that you have uh, an uh, an affinity. Uh, are we allowed to call it an affinity for true crime? Like it is, it is crime. <laughs> I'm I'm your typical millennial basic white bitch. Love it, yes. <laughs> and I and I want to make sure that we're we're understanding correctly. It's because, I mean, yes, I think some of us probably like it for gross reasons. But women of, you know, this, this specific demographic are disproportionately victims of violent crimes. We're not there consuming this stuff because we like it. A lot of us are taking notes. We're doing research. Mm-hmm. We're, we're like learning survival tips and being like, oh, maybe if I did this or if I, you know, started doing things differently this way or if I started paying attention to that or whatever. I'm tra- this is a self-preservation type of thing. And so I'm doing it for me and I'm also doing it like for my family. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, sure. certain- you've got a little one at home. So yeah, you think about, you know, uh, I, I think when you talk about like who is disproportionately victimized, I mean, yeah, it's women, it's, it's women of color in particular, it's uh, queer people. And I think that, you know, self-preservation and also uh, I think there's also an element of we consume things in in such a way to not only take notes and self-preserve but to go okay well this isn't going to happen to me because I'm taking these notes because I was prepared for it and you know even if it's not necessarily true it's something that is a, a little bit more comforting but it's it's when it's when you realize how many of of these kids are you can't you can't possibly watch your kid and who they're interacting with every waking moment and mm-hmm. when i was growing up it was don't get in the van with candy or a new bike but now 
I mean, they, they could only access me when I was playing out in my front yard, right? Or if I went to the mall by myself or with some friends. Now, though, they have access to children literally everywhere. And like you said, Alan, this isn't a this isn't a, a paranoia thing. Like, I'm not saying that Brand Kinley is going to get trafficked in a Target in Omaha, Nebraska. But I'm saying that, like, Brand Kinley is going to log online and have some fucking creepy dude who's commenting on her cute little pre-dance photo that she puts up for her friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One out of six chances of that. And that's even like, how are they doing this reporting? Right. And I mean, so like, and as far as like child-friendly content or access issues, Amir talked about in our last episode, like search engines and how like ultimately algorithms and like platforms are so complex at this point that it's like impossible to fully understand how they're working really or what they're doing. Like, I think he said something, Danielle, I don't know if you remember, but it was like, there's a sentience to it in a way, like an AI sentience. And I think that's a really scary concept to apply here with regard to regulation. I don't know how possible event like it really is to keep less child friendly content away from kids because it's everywhere and their brains are lightning fast and they're learning technology like so quickly. They're born fluent in it, basically. And if they want NAR stuff, they're going to find it. And then there are predators who will serve it to them and find ways to get it to them, whether they want it or not. Yeah. Yeah. I um I started reading this book uh from a journalist who reviewed the the Slender Man trial. You all remember that from oh, yeah. Wisconsin, those two preteen girls and like it's heartbreaking to read because I mean, I don't know how anybody can can know all the facts and not have some kind of sympathy, empathy, whatever for even the girls who were the perpetrators. Because you read through some of these things and they literally do not have any real understanding of what they did. And you can tell because their their next question, you know, they get brought into uh, a police station. And in Wisconsin, it's apparently one of the only states in the nation where um, law enforcement can interview minors without their parents present. And so, yeah, I mean, their parents weren't there yet. Law enforcement has the kids, you know, separated in different rooms and is talking to them. And they are like, yeah, um, when like when am I going to go home? Like there's a a slumber party that I really want to go to next weekend. And that's not like the callousness of a kid who's like, yeah, I just fucking killed somebody. But, you know, got to do light as a feather, stiff as a board next week. Like that's not that's not that it's it's a kid who literally doesn't understand the gravity of anything. Or who genuinely has fear that this content that they consumed online is real because mm-hmm. shock of shocks, kids' brains not fully formed, kind of make uh, make make bad decisions sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> one big difference that I kind of have been hearing between like 
your early teenage years and my early teenage years are more of like this visual aspect as well, which goes into that Slender Man because Slender Man is a creepypasta, which is just people creating stories. It's artists creating these really intense stories, drawing graphics. Like you think that this is historically accurate. Like they're photoshopping him into these pictures. And like, especially when I was growing up, I was on MySpace way before I should have been. I got onto Facebook when I was 14 because when I went to boarding school, I had a .edu. So I was like, check mark. Um, oh my but, God. <laughs> but you have like with that, you have the rise of Catfish, the like MTV oh, show that's literally yeah. people creating fake personas, trying to date you. You have online scammers all the time. Like even kind of in my early stages, I have always been weary of trusting people online because I don't know, even if I see a picture, I don't know who's on the other side. Right, right. That's a really interesting point because like I know in and and maybe it's not even, maybe it's generational differences. Maybe it's just geolocation differences too, which I also tend to, like it's a whole other pod, but like I tend to think that geographic location actually probably impacts us more than the year that we were born. Um, You know, like Danielle and I uh, growing up in uh, a place with relatively low crime rates and uh, a place where you could ride your bike across town, you know, unsupervised where kids get driver's licenses at 14. You know, we we grew up in a very um, trusting environment. And I sometimes wonder, especially because like I was taught to respect my elders and respect adults. When I think about interacting with adults in chat rooms online, because they weren't the guy with the van and the candy. Well, it seems like most adults can be trusted, right? Mm -hmm. And so why would it be a problem? Like I look back there are too many of these stories from my own personal life where I would like make friends with somebody on Zanga. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, oh, like 14 year old me was like, yeah, I'm friends with so-and-so like we talk every night for hours and like, we just get each other. And like older me comes back and I'm like, Danielle, you were 14 and he was 25. Like there is nothing thing the two of you had in common at all Mm -hmm. in any fucking universe and but i mean like you know there's there was a whole fucking book written about the uh the guy from fargo the teacher from fargo who we have to say allegedly uh groomed and and preyed upon a a girl who was you know around our age and he was a a teacher a trusted teacher and that's how they do it is is they they bridge the gap right they make kids feel older than they are they there are there's a method to this madness and i mean kids cannot be expected to differentiate or to understand or to willingly self-describe as not mature enough to be able to have these conversations. Like, I don't know about y'all, but like wanting to grow up was like a big thing for me. Like I wanted Mm -hmm. to have maturity and responsibility. And I look back at myself and I'm like, you fucking idiot, you know? (laughs) (laughs) 
baby angel. You, you stupid, stupid girl. <laughs> <laughs> nice One day. your child work there. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One day you'll have a podcast that literally tens of people subscribe to. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jordan. You don't know me and that's fine. I want to recommend something to you that you'll love. It's Alan's debut poetry collection, Dead Name, and it's available for pre-order now. Dead Name is a collection of poems that shares the coming of age of one trans and queer person in the new millennia, yet it echoes across all identities to show how embracing the liberating and revelatory act of queer love and transition can not only free queer people, but all of us. Here's what poet Kieran Hodgers had to say about it. You're going to want to sit down for this. Put down whatever else you're reading and call in sick to work. Dead Name is a pulsing, vibrant, and necessary collection that heralds the vivid, visceral experience of heartbreak, joy, wonder, confusion, and hope. Technically astute, creatively playful, and emotionally honed, I am angry at how incredible these poems are, and that is the highest compliment I can offer. So if you like to be mad, sad, happy, moved, and just generally feel things while supporting a queer and trans podcaster you know and love, pre-order Dead Name from Right Bloody UK today. Find the link in our Target Snarket social channel bios on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Target Snarket. Danielle, I know you, you know, you're a mom and, and even though your kiddo is not yet at like content consumption age online, I mean, how do you, how do you monitor, especially when sometimes it's just easier to hand them the iPad? Oh man, it's uh, well, it is. And he's at that age right now where it is like, if I need, if I'm trying to get ready in the morning and I overslept and I need just 10 minutes to put on just some mm-hmm. quick, minutes, right. But he's awake. Yeah. I know I can give him the iPad and he can watch, you know, some, some show on the iPad or whatever. And he'll be, he'll, he's, he's locked in. We're good. But like the problem with that is, is like, and I didn't know this. Okay. I want, and I want to preface this too, with just letting you guys know, like I, I came to motherhood late. Okay. I didn't think I'd have to be dealing with any of this stuff, like, um, as early as I, as I am, but I, I just thought like, well, if I can find like some kids content on YouTube, you know, and I can give it to him and he'll just sit and watch it. He has figured out how to, well, I don't want to watch this one anymore. I'll watch this one. And he scrolls and he can find mm-hmm. different videos to watch. I have found him and he's, he's three, you know, he, he can't read. He doesn't know, you know, what he's actually watching. He's just seeing, Oh, I saw a picture of a, of a tractor here and I'm going to click this. He'll, he'll find like live feeds of things like live feeds. Okay. Of just yeah. random stupid things that people are doing, like putting toys together or, or unboxing mm-hmm. things, putting things. I mean, it's, it's dumb. The, the things that kids love are really stupid, but <laughs> the live feeds, I was appalled when I saw this because I thought, oh, I'm internet savvy and I'm protecting my child and I don't even post pictures internet and all these things. I picked up the iPad after I was done having him look at it. And on the live feed, there's a chat box. And this is a kid's channel. Predators know that kids watch this channel. They're posting like links and stuff to like, you can go to this porn page. You Mm -hmm. can come, you know, my whatever. You can come talk to me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what? (laughs) And I did not, I mentioned this to another parent friend of mine because 
um, parent friends that I have, you know, that are my age, like all their kids are older. Cause you know, I waited until I was old to have kids. And, uh, and she was like, well, don't you, like, you can get them kids YouTube. And I was like, well, what's that? Like, is that a subscription thing? It's like, no, it's free. It's just a separate app and it's all kids stuff. And it doesn't do anything like that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So like I download the kids YouTube and he can watch the kids YouTube and, uh, and there are not chat rooms and like live things, you know, on there that, that he can get into and, and inadvertently see, I'm like, I don't know, but what would he have, like, if he, I don't think he would have clicked on a link, but I didn't think that he could switch videos, right? Mm -hmm. They're figuring everything out and it's, it's incredible. And, um, so yeah, like to give them like a device, you have to be, you have to be aware of like the ways that they're going to learn how to use it. Probably that you don't even know that they can do. Right. And then you have to bring into all of it, like the YouTube algorithm, because first of all, family channels and kid channels are like the most profitable on YouTube. You have, like uh, Danielle mentioned, accounts that are just adults opening kids toys. And like, I remember watching one that was just a grandma eating candy. And like, it's not, it's not inappropriate, but it's fucking weird. Like, (laughs) why am I watching this grandma in pigtails eating peeps? Like, it's weird. And like, I'm walking peeps doing like a peep taste test and being like, this is amazing. Like, it's horrible. Why does this feel like that content fits into a couple of different worlds? Exactly. But that's the thing. The peep shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like actually, like I have nephews ranging from what eight to four now, and they have like the gaming channels. They have like weird skit channels. All these things that are adults making stuff for kids, or like, like I said, the stupid like opening of the mystery eggs or whatever. Like it does. It's awful content anyway that they are consuming that are for kids and then you also in the algorithm like my one nephew likes mickey mouse and he likes he likes getting scared and now all of a sudden i'm looking at his recommended videos and it's like mickey mouse with his face melted off on fire and i'm like what are you looking up and he's like scary mickey mouse and so that's what pops up sure and like the most innocent search terms yeah and he's like i got scared i was like i got scared what are you watching well and and what you were saying earlier alan about the the algorithm having a little bit of sentience i mean it's also because the way that that the search algorithm and, and every search algorithm because it's you know yes google owns youtube um, so it abides by, you know, like there, there's a, a specific element of that that's going to be all interconnected. But most of these, I mean, every one of these platforms has its own algorithm of some kind, right? And the algorithm that governs a feed is going to be different than the algorithm that governs search, maybe. Our life is governed by algorithms. But I think that the search algorithm in particular is one of those that is especially, it's concerning sometimes in its accessibility. And when I say accessibility, I don't mean like accessibility controls for disability or anything like that. I'm saying that like, if you wanted to tag 
really inappropriate and terrible content with kid-specific tags that would help them find it by putting scary Mickey Mouse inside of a search engine, you can't. You can have very innocent tags that are attached to your content. And that's how kids find those things. So like, I know that like parental controls exist. I've heard about like YouTube kids. I've heard about like, I think Meta's got a kid friendly sort of a situation. And I mean, we know um, those of us who, you know, are, are in advertising that like, there are certain things that will get flagged, you know, can't be shown to kids, et cetera. Um, but I mean, like, are these things effective? I mean, especially when I think about the fact that like all of the people who created these platforms didn't think for a fucking second about how they could be used for hate speech. (laughs) And you want to tell me that like they've, they've cracked the code on making sure that kids can only access kid-friendly content? No. Just no. That's all I have to say about it. Is <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know what the right answer is either. Like for, for parents, it's like, well, what are you supposed to do? Like, are they never supposed to play any of these games? Are they never supposed to have any of these devices? Or, you know, I, cause I don't think that going cold Turkey and never giving them anything is the right thing either. Right. But it does make the, it makes it a very challenging job because I've never played Fortnite, but like, I know that like a lot of these games that kids play, like they have messaging services in them that headsets. Yes. Okay. So you can talk to people that you're playing with or whatever. And, um, predators know these are kids games. This is where kids are going to hang out. Like, why would they not go, you know, like they're going to, you know, and, and talk to kids. And the problem with a lot of these games and apps and stuff too, is that like, and I think of Snapchat just comes to mind, even though I know a lot of adults use Snapchat, but like, it's not a very user-friendly app, but like all the mm-hmm. kids, all the kids had it figured out. They're like, oh, if you do this or like whatever. And I'm like, what? Snapchat does that? You can't find the messaging in a lot of these, um, these games and apps and stuff, but the kids can find it and the predators can find it. So all this can happen, you know, like behind basically a closed door that you don't even know is there. And I think that's when it gets really, really scary, right? Is like, you've got your three to five-year-olds who, like you said, Danielle, like they're learning way faster. Uh, they're, they're picking up on these things because like when we talk about people being like digital natives or whatever, uh, or digital first inside of our generation or the generation after us, we don't even know the fucking meaning of that term by comparison, right? With these kids who have literally figured out these user experiences long before they even have the language to, to ascribe to it. And that's just with very like innocent searches, like you're talking about, Kaylee. Then you have kids who are going through hormonal changes, who are learning about because like you're the the best parent in the world is not going to be able to stop their kid from learning about sex from their friends, like period, you know, and that's just how it is. Like and and then you've got kids that get curious and have more access to information than they've ever had before. You have uh, not just, you know, groomers, predators that are talking to young kids, but also you have kids that are consuming porn 
and getting really fucked up ideas about sex and intimacy from that kind of content. And I think that, you know, there's obviously a conversation to be had around like, it's not like we have to make all content appropriate for kids. I don't believe in that at all. You know, Tyler said that he was uh, he was at a function recently and some guy made a disparaging comment about Sam Smith and the 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 um, unholy video. And uh, and Tyler and Tyler was like, well, what's wrong with it? And the guy was like, well, I don't want my kids seeing that shit. And Tyler's like, OK, so don't let your kid watch it. Like, I don't understand what well it's not appropriate for children and i'm like he goes you know yeah but if you ask sam smith they probably didn't make it for kids either so like what the fuck is the problem like like not kid oriented content is allowed to exist we are allowed to have content that is not available for children and sometimes that's going to be found i mean how how do we reconcile that right like how do you how do you protect kids and use these parental controls, these safeguards, these these channels, and I guess do the best you can with what you have? So I think you obviously have to do the best that you can with what you have. I mean, like you said, but I think, and this, again, we're speaking as somebody who has a toddler, okay? Sure. I'm going to be learning all of this on the fly, as all parents do, but I think that keeping the lines of communication open with your kid like as early as possible as often as possible and as and just keeping things as frank as possible is really important it's just like you know i don't want you playing this game or i don't want you on this device because of xyz reasons or you can have this device but you can only use it in this such and such of way you can go on social media <laughs> like i've heard of parents like you know, waiting until their kid turns 18 to allow them to get on social media. And if they wait, they're like, Hey, I'll write you a check for five grand. If you wait, I'm like, Oh, I like that idea. Right. Cause kids don't understand. It's like, if you're on social media, do you understand you put something on the internet? It's, it's forever. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't, you know, and I've read people that have done that. Like a lot of kids that aren't on social media or are not as active on these things that all their friends are doing. It's like, well, some of them kind of feel like they miss out a little bit, but other ones are just like, yo, my friends are acting stupid or they're doing really sure. dumb things or they're going through this really hard thing that they could have avoided if they hadn't had this experience or, you know, and the bullying and, and like all that stuff. So it's, it's keeping, it's like fostering that relationship. You have to like, they are children, but they're people too. You know, like I always right. think when you're naming your baby, it's like, you're not naming a baby. You're naming a person that's going to grow up and put an, a name on a job, you know, on a job application. Brand Tinley. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Treat these little people as like actual people and talk to them like they're people and be honest with them like they're people. Yeah. You, I, like, I thought of that when you were talking, because I think uh, uh, sometimes I hear some parent solutions for their kids' social media and messaging accounts. And they sound like incredible breaches of a human being's privacy. And I think that's a really good question for kids in general. Like, you know, what kind of privacy should they have? Should they get right? But maybe the solution too, Danielle, like you were saying, is 
having conversations like they're human beings, like they're mm-hmm. people. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a parent <laughs> and I'm not going to be because it sounds real hard, but like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I might come from kind of like a, an asshole-ish type of posi- like a place when I say stuff like this, but like, I don't presume to, to believe any of us have any expectation of privacy if we have cell phones or if we're on the internet. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that a kid should should expect that either. And I fully plan to tell my son, like, you can have this phone, but you have to understand, like, I'm paying for it. And you have the capability to talk to everybody on the planet with this thing. Nothing that you use this for is private. So you shouldn't assume that you have privacy when you use this. If you want to keep secrets and if you want to have privacy, you can have a diary, you can have a journal, you can you can do these things that are not electronic and I will not read them. But like, as long as I'm, as long as you're a minor and I'm paying for this or like, whatever, I'm sorry. Like I'm your parent and your brain. I know you think your brain is, is formed and all these things, but it's not like you can have this thing, but like it is mine and I reserve the right to look at it. That's my take on. That's something that, that sort of like bridging that gap there is, again, communication, you're, you're setting an expectation for something, Um, you know, a violation of privacy. It's arguable that a violation of privacy can't exist where privacy is not an expectation. Right. Right. Um, And so by having that conversation and being very clear about it, I think that there is just like, we're so hard on parents anyway. Um, and, and sometimes I, you know, as not a parent, I like, I do, I do sympathize with parents. I think sometimes we're deservedly hard on parents. Like, you know, every time that we see a fucking rap music video that somebody goes, won't someone think of the children or how am I going to explain the gay to my children? I don't know. Fucking talk to them. It's not my kid. Figure it out. Like, you know, and, and, and I, I can't help you. I can't train you on these conversations that are a part of life and a part of parenting. And I'm sorry, but also other people have the right to live and have adult uh, appropriate content. But I also think that like, yeah, the the conversations are not necessarily easy. I I would never say that. But I do think that, I mean, you know, Danielle, you, you make a good point that like having that conversation and being really upfront about it does that lead to uh, hiding secrets elsewhere? I mean, sure, I guess it could. But also, if there are open channels of communication and kids feel like they can talk to their parents about the big scary thing that happened, that's the difference, right? Like I got kind of conflicting messages growing up where, you know, and I didn't, I was a fucking saint. Okay. First of all, I just want to preface this by saying, okay. She, yeah. she really- Lil D, Lil Saint D. I Lil Saint D for fucking real. Like <laughs> I was, I was converting grown adults to Christianity online, obviously. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, my parents told me I didn't drink until I was 21. And my parents told me like, if we ever catch you drinking underage, then my dad was going to make me sit down and drink a and 24 pack all by myself. Now, granted, my dad drinks like Miller Lite. So it's like, well, would it, would it have hurt? Uh, but like, also, you know, I, like I never did it. But the other message that I consistently got was if you're at a party and you don't feel comfortable 
then call us and we'll come pick you up. No questions asked. Like you won't be in trouble. And it's like, well, kind of like, which is it? Like, am yep. I going to end up having to drink a case of Miller Lite with my dad? Or like, <laughs> am I going to not be punished because <laughs> they feel like different messages? So like, I mean, I think that it's reasonable to to outline those things. Can you anticipate everything? No. But also, you know, Danielle, you made a, a point earlier talking about like how some kids do feel like they're missing out if they don't have access to these things. You know, one of my uh, best friends, uh, she and her husband, they let their their middle child is like five and he wants to be a YouTube star. So goddamn bad. Uh, oh, and so they let him record videos on the iPad for his YouTube channel. And it's just videos on the iPad. Like there is no YouTube channel, right? Like, but he gets to, he gets to have the experience of it and they'll send it to their friends or their family and be like, will you like, and like he signs up with like, like, and subscribe, like, you know, and so like, like, will you like, and subscribe? Like, oh yeah. Like subscribe, you know, like you respond with text, like whatever. I, I think that there are ways to, you know, and granted you can't, you can't trick a 12-year-old and do that. That that kid is going to be in a podcast in 25 years and be right. like, they lied to me about my YouTube channel. <laughs> uh, like, that kid is stay up till midnight to watch the ball drop, but it's actually like a video from last year's ball drop. And right. you're at seven. It's 7 p.m. Right, right. But I also think that what's interesting too is Danielle, you you touched on this. The um the sort of observation from other kids who maybe aren't really interested in getting into it. I think that, that, you know, the fascinating part of like sort of examining this history is seeing those backlashes to the movements, right? This counterculture that's there. Actually, mom, I don't want social media because it seems like it makes the lives of all of my friends much worse. And it feels like maybe I would just rather opt out. You know, there are a lot of kids who are responsible and kind of kind of make those decisions for themselves and and see those types of things. But also, I think that the counterculture movement piece will be really interesting. Alan, I know that that you had some information on just kids like sort of reversing course on this and being fed up with just being perpetually online. Yeah, my favorite part of TikTok or one of my favorite parts of TikTok is like millennial versus Gen Z TikTok. And like there are lots of like... <laughs> Such good thing. Honestly, it's a lot. It's a lot of like Gen Z making fun of millennials and then millennials getting mad. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> it's so funny. I love it so much. Like, <laughs> and um, recently I saw one that was like um, examining the difference between a Gen Z and a millennial Insta feed. And largely it was like not as much showing of the face. Like, Millennials had a bunch of pictures of themselves, of their face. So, um, and I read an article that confirmed this too, is like Gen Z prefers more anonymity and um, they don't like oversharing. Um, it's kind of like, is chuggy the right word to use here, Kaylee, for oversharing? <laughs> confirmed. Okay. Yeah, that's what, that's what chuggy means? Chuggy is just like a, haven't we gone over this, Danielle? Yeah, it means millennial. It means, but Whoa. it's like a, it's a particular brand of millennial, I will say. It's like skinny jeansy, like skinny jeans, side part, side part, yeah. Uh, 
like the big flowy shirt with the knee-high boots wavy hair like wavy like long hair like curated like real yeah okay (laughs) i waves that they did not get at the beach right they probably have a deathly hallows tattoo Oh Somewhere. my God, read another book. Like, <laughs> I definitely have lived this whole adult life thinking that Chugi was just the Gen Z word for, is it Higgy? Higgy? The, the one where you like candles and blankets. I thought it just meant cringe. Like, I was like, oh, it's oh. just the- It's like a millennial cringe. Chugi oh, is yeah. cringe. You guys yeah. are it's a brand of I definitely thought it was that that Scandinavian affinity for like cozy (laughs) (laughs) that's so chuggy Danielle am I am I chuggy right now I want that shirt like chuggy equals Scandinavian brand of comfy (laughs) like yeah I just thought it meant you liked blankets and marshmallows in your hot chalky or something like Saying hot yeah. chalky, I feel like is chuggy. Like, oh, you're getting oh. it. You're getting <laughs> it. <laughs> now I know. Okay, cool. I do that all the time. I'll never give it up. Anyway. Oh, also so, millennial pause. Have you heard of yes, that? Yes. Uh, the like when, on TikTok when like we millennials when we hit record, we always pause and wait because there was a delay in video technology when we were back in the day yeah (laughs) but like you know when we press record we used to have to wait and then talk and like on tiktok it's instant um but millennials will always like so the other day mm -hmm. i thought that was part of it too was like like that after you hit record you go like so like okay like that was part of it too is that it's the it's the weird setup that's completely unnecessary yes yeah how chooky chooky chooks so kids don't like being online anymore or something yeah okay okay yeah they prefer in the anonymity which is a hard word they don't like oversharing and they like less permanency which Danielle, you brought up Snapchat earlier. I think Snapchat is a great example of that. Like, that's not necessarily permanent, question mark. Don't know the technicalities of that. Or like, Be Real is a great example of like, really going against millennial, overly curated, um, oversharey things. Like, it's literally in the fucking name. But maybe we should, maybe we should ask our young person what what she thinks about well (laughs) what's it like being young do you like how it's it's an episode about kids and technology and we're like kaylee what do you think like (laughs) you're a resident resident (laughs) child like well one thing i will say that i am part of a weird demographic of zillennial where like when i took a class in social media marketing um, like a whole class just for social media and how to use it for marketing, like have only been for the most part social media work. But when it comes to Gen Z, I tend to think it's because like they probably want anonymity because their parents were always in their fucking face with like the rise of Facebook moms. Because D, when me and you were first started working, that was like height Facebook mom. That was Lula Rowe. That was like unfortunately uh 
Chris Watts murder like his wife was always on Facebook too but like that was really kind of the time where everyone was always online they're always posting albums like it was the big shift from when Facebook opened up to parents basically which luckily my mom is more of a grandparent on Facebook sorry Renee that I just did that to you on a podcast uh but so she wasn't as bad she doesn't know how to use most of it and my she's a lot more of a, a commenter <laughs> my mom's a commenter mm. well, she's a which is good nowadays that's quality content in of itself but I don't think that Pam listens but if she does I apologize in advance I unfollowed my mom because she posts so much <laughs> D, you might follow Pam. I don't know, but like she posts so much, and it's always sparkly memes about how God is taking care of you, or that's great. Or minions about it's it's minion memes about getting older and finding hair in unexpected places or things like that. It's not the minion memes. Why? That's my mom too. Or like my mom will write, "Love you, Janice." Like, like blocks and blocks of text with some like poorly taken photos you know like a bunch of them but it's beautiful writing and some of the photos are pretty but it's like so much information yeah it's like like people who sign off their facebook comments like (laughs) things like that (laughs) yeah no i mean like i I think too though kaylee you know you talk about the facebook mom thing and I, i i know uh and D, you might be able to back me up on here. I know that there was a there was a period of time, uh, maybe transitional time in in our age group, where suddenly you saw like the meme everywhere that was like, you know, this year, last year for Halloween, I was or two years ago, I was shit faced and my sexy angel of the night costume and then this year I'm home with my baby or like you know my feed went from I don't know sexy nurses Halloween to yeah to To trick-or-treating right kids in their costumes versus like boobs and beers and stuff yeah pregnancy announcements birth photos don't need it like, I love what Kaylee is saying about how, like, the Gen Z kind of, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, their predilection to, like, not want to share so much is kind of, like, in response to, like, how our generation has shared so much. Yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, if you look at people from our generation, the millennial generation, it's, like, literally every, every single life, life event has to be an announcement. I'm yeah. pregnant married I got engaged I'm having I'm leaving you know, Facebook yeah I'm leaving Facebook or I'm moving or you know like anything and um when I got my job and got married and like you know the years went on I I became like increasingly more uncomfortable with sharing those types of things because I'm just like yo I've got a lot of Facebook connections I have like over 1200 people connected to me on my Facebook And if you think about it, like every time you're sharing something, it's like, just imagine a room full of people with, with all those people and announcing this thing to all of those people. Do you really need to tell all those people this specific thing? Is this really all of their business? And like, I mean, yes, a big life event. Like if you're having a baby or if you're getting married, it's like, yes, I want to share these things. This is why we're on social media. But 
it's like, I don't know if I'm pregnant. I mostly just tell my friends. I'm like, I've got people on my Facebook that I used to work with in a restaurant, you know, 20 years ago or whatever it is. I don't need to tell them my personal stuff. Sure. I mean, I, I'll, I'll keep up with you, you know, and whatever comment back and forth, but this is my personal life. And I like that the younger generations are getting that. It's like, I will share with you. I will connect with you. You know, we can hang out on social media and stuff, but like, I don't need to be putting every, like, this is not my photo album, you know, my baby book. That's this big. This is the way to, to connect with people and not have to share every single detail of my life. I think that, um, what's interesting about that is that it really feels like we're the awareness generation in some ways, you know, we needed to, to create awareness for all of these different things. Right. And, and a lot of that wasn't bad. It, It was good. It's good that more, for instance, uh, people who get pregnant and miscarry, they feel like they they don't have to be ashamed of it. They can talk about it. They can share this sort of thing and find solidarity and community with other people and not feel like they have to live in shame. People who have postpartum, people who have mental health issues, people who are queer in rural areas and may not feel like they have community, people who are queer in fucking cities. Like I'm in fucking New York City and still have a hard time sometimes finding, even though like just about everybody I fucking know is queer, like still have a hard time sometimes finding that solidarity, finding that community. And and I think that that awareness has been really, the, the awareness generation piece has been really positive and, and has created pathways for generations to come after us to say, you know, how many fucking people do I know who have preteens and teenagers who are totally comfortable talking about being non-binary, about being asexual, about, um, you know, talking about things in their lives that were not okay for us to talk about when we were growing up, that we would have, we would have bared uh, a more considerable bullying from. But also, Kaylee, to your point about Facebook moms, for a lot of these kids, if they had literally no agency, it is their one act of rebellion. They had no privacy. They had no agency over what content about them was shared. And consent wasn't a conversation that we were having at that point in time. I think that, you know, something interesting about kids uh, being online and and the question of consent is that we're starting to think of kids as human beings who, you know, deserve to have agency over their consent. And and it's not just handed to somebody else by a parent. But I think that when you have, you know, these, these kids who didn't have any kind of agency over what was shared of them or when and what the ramifications were, this is the act of rebellion. It is the one thing they can take back. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of of what that consent looks like, I mean, you know, Kaylee, did you find in in any of your research, like, are you seeing an increase in parents or family members actually like asking for consent or achieving that? Like, are kids just kind of bowing out of this entirely? Like, what are what are some of the counterculture movements that we're seeing there? It's pretty difficult in terms of counterculture with children. What I have seen is children advocating for themselves or their parents being super active about like, my child does not go online. Like, if I see my child online, I will make you delete it type thing. 
Um, you see a lot more increases in parents who are more active about that. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, we're just seeing kids who grew up in that time period kind of start making legislation to make it so either their privacy, once they're an adult, they have that new privacy. And it's kind of like what you said, it's not like their baby book is available to anyone who wants to see it. Or you have legislation where you have child influencers and like they make you money, a whole different type of law needs to be made for that. Well, folks, that concludes part one of our discussion about the youths on the interwebs. Stay tuned for part two, dropping next Tuesday, where we take a deeper dive into the real life stories of kids who were or are content creators themselves or who are used by their parents for content and the ramifications of their experience. We touch on some spoopy parent-child TikTok accounts, as well as leave you with our parting thoughts on how we can all do better for our kids in the digital landscape. Thanks for tuning in to Target Snarket, a weekly podcast brought to you by Broad Digital Consulting. Our podcast is hosted by Danielle Bilbrook, Kaylee Myers, and Alan Connolly, and produced by Margot Gill. You can always learn more about Broad Digital Consulting on our website, broad.digital. That's B-R-O-A-D dot digital. Or you can find us on social media using the handle at Target Snarket. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you're feeling so inclined, we'd love for you to review our pod if you like what you're hearing. 